Today we're actually beginning a new series called Experiencing God. Experiencing God. So we're going to be doing this series basically for six weeks. And we're going to begin today with the R. These are basically the purposes of our church. And the R stands for relationship. Relationship. So we're going to talk about relationship today. And thinking through this this sermon, I mean, what this really boils down to is God having a personal, individual, intimate, close relationship with you. With you and you having that with him. You know, and I think of Moses and Moses was called what? The friend of God. The friend of God. Let that sink in. You say, well, that was Moses, John. You can't compare me to Moses. Well, if you read about Moses, he was a guy just like you and me. And God was able to call him the friend of God. And it's a very intimate experience that Moses had. Well, he didn't actually have it, but God had with Moses' body after Moses was dead. God personally buried Moses. He was a friend of God. And it's a very crazy idea to think about God getting a shovel or whatever he did and digging a hole and putting Moses' body into it. It's amazing. And so at the start of this, I want to ask you a question. Would you say that you have a personal relationship with God? Do you talk to him? Is he speaking to you? Is he communicating with you as well? You know, God came up with something years ago that, that uh, in the last 15 years we've come to know, and, and that's, you know, something like Facebook. You know, your, your story of your life is out there in Facebook, right? You've got pictures, and you've got all the stories and things, and, and the kids, they recently put together a little booklet of all the things that Angela had written in her Facebook about the kids, and, and it was just an amazing thing to be able to read the different things that she wrote all throughout their lives, and it was, it was the story, right? And some of us, you know, we're not quite honest about what we say on Facebook. <laughs> things are better on Facebook than they really are in the house. That wasn't the case with Angela, right? But God did this in the Bible. He wrote his story, and it's, it's like his, his social media, basically, that everybody in the world... Did you know that the Bible is the most sold book in the world, in the history of the world? There are more copies of the Bible written and sold than any other book, and all other books probably combined the Bible. Absolutely amazing. It's God's story. And what is that story about? It's about relationship. It's about him wanting a relationship with individuals, but also with groups of people, humankind. So as we get started with this, I want to just kind of give you the the layout real quick. Relationships is today. Next week, we're going to talk about EE, which is evangelism. We have purpose together, and that is to reach the lost. L is learning what God likes, doesn't like, and what he's doing. That's what we want to get to. 
Uh, adore God. A is adore God. We make him bigger than anything else. That's worship, right? T is teamwork, doing ministry together, eternally meaningful work. And E, of course, is experiencing God as we, as we bring this series to a conclusion. So today I want to talk to you about experiencing God through relationships. And one thing Jesus communicated over and over that he had, that he had an understanding of was how much the Father wanted a personal relationship with us. And at one point he even communicated, hey, look, you don't have to go through me to talk to the Father. Use my name, but you don't have to go. God wants, the Father wants you to talk directly to him. The Father does. God wants this personal relationship with us. And if you're wondering what God wants from you, this is it. If you're asking, God, what do you want from me? Why is this happening in my life? Why did that happen? I don't understand my life. What's going on? This is it. This is the answer to everything God wants in your life. He wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. Have you ever had a relation or someone that wanted a relationship with you that you didn't want that relationship? You'd avoid them. You'd see them call and you're like, oh. And they want that relationship with you, but you weren't interested in why? Because they weren't your style. Or, or they weren't of your kind, right? And, and we can imagine like a, a goth girl with quarterback of the football team, right? It just doesn't fit. Or a goth guy with a cheerleader. It just doesn't fit. They're on two different paths in life, aren't they? And when you look at God and compare yourself with God, it's easy to, to just run from him and say, man, he's too different than me. No, I don't want a relationship with him. I don't want to know him because he's way different than me. He's too holy. He's too perfect. He's too different from me. But when you choose to love somebody, what are you choosing to do? You're choosing to accommodate for them in your life, and you're choosing to have a relationship with them and say, you know what? I'm going to set aside the differences, and I'm going to set aside my likes and dislikes so that I can begin to embrace what he wants in my life and what he wants in his life. When you choose to love someone, you accommodate for them being in your life. When you have a kid, when you had that baby, did you know that you had that, who, what kind of baby this was? You didn't know what their likes and dislikes were going to be, did you? You didn't know them. And yet they showed up and you started what? Loving them. You started cradling them. You started holding them. And they started going, Wah! at inappropriate times. And they started going, at inappropriate times. They started messing with your life. And what did you do? You didn't know what they would like. You didn't know what they would, would, would dislike. You didn't know anything about them. This was a perfect stranger. But you chose to love that kid. And nurture that kid. They cry about everything. So needy. <laughs> and when you get two minutes of them just relaxing, and Jane, or Eli did that last night, he just relaxed in my arms. This is awesome. And when you get like two minutes of that, you think, oh, this is the best kid in the world. <laughs> and then the rest of it, right? Now listen, if you're capable of loving someone that you don't even know, a complete stranger that just shows up into your life, is it really unreasonable for God to say, 
all right, here's all the information about me that I think you need to know. Would you love me? I want you to read that. I want you to get to know that. I want you to ask the people at my house and church, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And would you love me after you get to know me a little bit? Hey, listen, if you can love a dog that poops and pees on your floor and that sets landmines out in the backyard for you, if you can love that, is it really unreasonable for God to ask you to love him? Well, but God is too strict. Ah, he's too uptight, you know. Or he doesn't do the things that I want him to do the way I want him to do them and when I want him to do them. So no, I don't want to be his friend. Well, let me ask you this. Who made you God? Because you don't know how things should work out. And you don't know how your prayers should be answered. You might think you do. But he does. And he's never going to answer a prayer in a way that's harmful to you or in a way that's going to be detrimental to your life. Why? Because he loves you. And all he's asking for you to do is love him back. I love one of the parables that Jesus told. And I use this parable a lot. If you've been coming here for a while, you know that I use this parable a lot because it's such a powerful parable. And there's something that's key that is communicated in this parable that, that I think is so, so important. It's the parable of the talents, all right? So you know the story if you know anything about uh, the parables of Christ. Well, in this parable, Jesus talks about a master that's going to leave town. And as he's, as he's going, he gives uh, to his servants, he's got a few servants, and he, he gives to them some, some money, basically, to, to invest. And the scripture says that he specifically chose an amount to give to them based upon their abilities, according to their abilities. So he looked at one guy and he said, all right, you have great ability, so I'm going to give you five. He looked at another guy and he says, all right, you've got it going. I'm going to give you two. And he looked at another guy and he said, okay, this guy's a little wanting, but I'm going to give him something to invest. And he gave him one. So five, two, and one. And when he returned, the one that had five actually met the expectations that he had. He doubled what he had given. The guy with two, he was probably fairly impressed. Wow, he doubled what he gave him. So he had four to give back to him. He was pleased with him and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, look what he's communicating there. The master's happy. The master enjoys life. What is he saying? God is happy. God is fun. God wants you to enjoy life with him. He wants you to enjoy eternity with him. And he wants you to share in your master's happiness. That sounds inviting, doesn't it? Now, look at this, this third guy, though. So the master was happy with these guys, the first two. And, and we can look at the third guy and kind of understand, God help whoever that's for in Jesus' name. We can look at the third guy and understand why he was so happy with the first two guys. And, and the third servant, what did he do? He took the one talent that was given to him and he went and he buried it. And look what he said was the reason for burying it. He said, Master, 
I knew that you're a hard man, investing where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. What's he saying? He's saying, I chose to believe bad things about you. I chose to believe that you're harsh, that you're unforgiving, that you're greedy. All you wanted was your money back. And if I didn't give it back to you, you would have had my head. You see, the problem was in how the servant saw the master. It was his attitude towards the master that was the problem. Instead of wanting to please the master, instead of having a good relationship with the master, instead of wanting to enjoy taking a risk, you know, it's kind of fun taking a risk, especially when it's someone else's money. Instead of enjoying that and taking the risk, instead of trying to please the master, he went and he buried it. He wasn't interested in getting to know know the master. He wasn't interested in any kind of a loving relationship with the master or enjoying life or sharing in the happiness with the master. Listen, people won't spend eternity in hell because of their sins. Jesus paid for our sins. I'm just going to get a drink of water while you guys let that one sink in. We won't spend eternity in hell because of our sins. That's exciting, isn't it? Not that we're going to spend eternity in hell, don't get me wrong. Because we're not. We would spend eternity in hell because we embrace this relationship with Jesus. Jesus paid for our sins. Why would we spend eternity in hell? Because of very, the very thing that this guy did. His attitude towards God. His attitude towards the master. Oh, he's harsh. He's mean. Unforgiving. I better not mess with his stuff. I better not try to do anything for him. Because if I don't give him back what he gave me to use, the talents and gifts and whatever I have, if I don't give it back to him, he's going to be mad at me. Listen, he's going to be mad at you that you had a bad attitude towards him. That just makes sense, doesn't it? His master looked at him and said, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. What is he saying? He says, Okay, so you found out something about me, and instead of seeing good things from that, you, you got angry at me about it, and you used that against me. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He's saying you could have at least stuck it in the bank for interest. The master was furious, not because he didn't give him more money. That had nothing to do with it. The master's response here tells us, He would have been way more pleased if the servant had risked his money and lost it than doing what he did, and that is to just go bury it. How do we know that? Because the master had already decided, this guy's probably going to lose my money. I'm only going to give him one talent. 
He's probably going to lose it, so I'm going to just give him one. He had already decided this one's going to be a loss probably. He's going to risk it, and, and it's going to be gone. But that's okay. But instead, he came back, and the guy hands it back to him as though he's just saying, you know what, here's your money back. I didn't want to do anything with it because I know how difficult and hard of a taskmaster you are. You see, the test wasn't to see if the guy could make more money. The test was to see what was his attitude towards the master. And today, the biggest test of your life is, what do you think about the master? What have you heard that you believe that's wrong? What have you heard that you don't believe that you should believe about him? Some people, because of their bad experiences in life or because they don't want accountability in life, they just want to believe bad things about him. They choose to believe he's a big, mean, angry God. And all they see is the stuff in the Old Testament that makes him look like, well, he just wipes out people and doesn't even care. They don't understand the context of the Old Testament. They just want to grab onto it and say, look, he's mean, he's ugly. Look at all the murderers and rapists and all the stuff going on in the world. If God was a loving God, he would never allow all of that stuff. You don't understand him. You don't understand what he's doing. And then you don't understand the why. And people that believe that don't want to understand because there are answers to it. And I'll sit down and have a long conversation with you about it or even a short one if you want. We don't have time at this moment, but the bottom line is, what do you want to believe about the master? There's an interesting passage that goes along with this that the Apostle Paul wrote, and I'm going to read it, it's kind of changing gears a little bit, but it's, it's a little bit different topic, but, but it kind of speaks to the same thing. What do you believe about him, and what does God say about who he is? Um, I'm going to read it to you from the Orthodox Jewish Bible. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, each of you should give as he has decided previously in his lev, in his heart, not giving bedeaved begrudgingly, nor out of necessity, for Hashim, God, loves a cheerful giver. All right, so what is he saying? He's saying that each of us should give decided previously. What is he talking about here? He's teaching you how to love God. Do you see it? He's saying, don't wait till you get in church and the preacher starts telling great stories and twisting your arm and telling you about all these big needs and things like that so that you can empty your pockets or get on your bank account and start throwing a bunch of money. He says, don't do that. What did he say to do? Decide previously. Before you go. And we should decide in our lev, which is translated heart here, which is kind of interesting. And he says, why do you do this? Because you believe what? God loves a cheerful giver. What's he talking about? Relationship relationship. What's interesting here is the only times in scripture that this word lev is translated heart other than this is, is when it is translated for the physical heart, pumping blood heart. But yet it's translated heart here because when they went to translate it, they started realizing that, that, that uh, in other words, uh, this word lev can also be translated into the word mind. So there's two different potential translations, heart or mind. 
And so in this specific passage could be translated to say, each of you should give as you've previously decided in your mind, but it's not what they translated it because they recognized that it was meant to mean so much more than just thinking about it. And what it's saying is, is and, and here's something interesting also, with the advances in our neurosciences, there's a fascinating discovery about the organ of the human heart that have, they've recently discovered that there are neurons in the heart that actually connect to the brain. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? You know, if your teeth can be connected to the heart directly, your heart is also connected to your brain as well, right? So it seems now that the mind of man exists, and this is what they say, not just in the brain, but also in the heart. That's kind of cool to think about. Um, I'm not sure what that does for those who have been, had a heart transplant, but that's okay. You lost part of your mind. <laughs> Got somebody else's. So here it, it seems that the best way for us to kind of grab onto what was meant to be said here is this. God wants you to think through with emotion for him what you're going to do for him. Use your brain and your heart. Think through with emotion what you're going to do for him because you love him. Relationship. Not begrudgingly, not out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, what are you doing? You're setting your affections on him. You're choosing to love him in spite of the differences. I want to take you to um, Matthew chapter 16. Does it matter to God what you think about him? Well, look at what Jesus said to the disciples. They came to Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said, who do people say that I am? And he says, and listen, they could have as well said, well, people are saying that you're demon-possessed. <laughs> you're sent by the devil. They didn't go there that day. But that's what people had been saying about Jesus. And they've been saying he's all these others. But, and then he asked them this question, but what about you? What do you say? What do you say? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, son, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, by my Father in heaven. Peter wanted to believe good things about Jesus, and he wanted to believe he was the Messiah. And he was right. A while back, there was a woman in the church that wanted to believe bad things about me. I know it's hard to imagine. <laughs> and she would nitpick every word that I said, trying to find something. And eventually she did, not anything real, but she finally came up with enough that she was able to say, all right, I'm done with you. And we can do that with people, right? She accused me of a list of things that was completely made up in her own mind and they had nothing to do with reality. And I just wonder, how many times do we do that with God? 
You know, when we're looking to not believe, when we're looking to not have that relationship with him, when we're looking to have our own way, how many times do we just find something that's not even true about God? It's about relationship. Do you want to love him? Do you want to believe the good in God? And if you do, you're going to be able to. You see, you're free to believe God is all the bad things that you want to believe. You're free to do that. But guess what? You're also free to believe all the good things about him. You're free to believe in his goodness. You're free to believe in his loving kindness. You're free to believe in his salvation that's full and free. That he forgave you for all of your sins. You're free to believe all of that. You're free to believe that he watches over you day and night and knows everything about your life. He knows he's numbered the hairs on your head that Jesus said, right? You're free to believe all of those things. You're free to believe that you can love him and have that intimate, close relationship with him as well. So what would it be like living with God? Don't worry, it's not like your husband. (laughs) Or your wife. No, I'm not going to say that. I did. Uh, Many years ago, I received an anonymous note. I don't normally read anonymous notes. But I started this one, and it looked like it was going to be pretty good. I haven't received one in a long time. so. But the gist was this. I really don't think I want to go to heaven. I believe in God, but I don't know that I really want to go to heaven. And this person was just being honest with me. And they were thinking it through. They had sat down and thought this through. And they said, I I think I'd rather just sleep for eternity. And the reason for that is because it sounds like it's going to be extremely boring. (laughs) They said, there's nobody that we're going to be able to talk about because everybody's going to be perfect. There's nothing crazy going to be going on because everything is perfect. I don't want to go to hell but I don't think I want to go to heaven either. I'd rather just sleep. I don't know what to do about this. And this person was really in a quandary, and I couldn't really answer them. So through the years, I've tried to throw it into a sermon, and maybe they're still listening somewhere. Listen, I do hear and understand what this person is saying. I mean, what will we do without mean people? You know, I mean, who are we? Who are we going to talk about? Who are we going to contrast life with? What will we have to talk about without bad news? Without murders, without injustice, without all the crazy stuff going on, taxes and politics. I mean, we won't have any of that stuff to talk about. It's going to be, what do we talk about? Anybody got any news today? Anybody got anything funny that happened? So here's what you need to know. The key to heaven being heavenly is your relationship with God. And I know that that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around. Let me try it this way. Anybody here ever seen the movie Monsters, Inc.? That is one of my favorite movies, you know. Uh, and it, basically, the gist of the movie is, if you don't know it, they go throughout the process of, of this movie, of, of this, this corporation. And, and, and corporation, basically, is, is, is about 
getting kids to scream. So these monsters sneak into these kids' bedrooms, and they get the kids to scream. And that, those screams, basically, they, they generate some kind of power, and that powers the monster's world. They're able to capsulize it, and, and it powers the monster's world. Well, later in the movie, they found out that it was laughter that developed way more power than the screams of kids that were afraid could ever develop. And, and it was this huge twist at the end of the movie where all of these monsters needed to suddenly become comedians because they needed to make the kids laugh now. So it was a hilarious movie. I encourage you to go home today and watch it. It's very spiritual, right? <laughs> so heaven's going to be like that. Instead of the horror of this life being all that we talk about, the taxes, the murder, the incest, the rape, the murders, and all the stuff that we hear about on a daily basis that's going on around us, and we talk, did you hear about this? Did you hear about, oh my goodness, this accident, these people died. All of the stuff that we talk about and all of the stuff that we worry about, it's going to be completely flip-flopped when we get to heaven. And we cannot begin to imagine what it's going to be like. You see, love is going to be the currency of heaven. Love is going to be the topic of heaven. And it's hard for us to fathom how great that that is going to be. But you, when you experience the love of God for you, nothing else is going to matter and nothing else does matter. Scripture says, and I'm going to read the King James Version of this one. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So I want to take you just for a few more minutes through some of the scriptures and help you to see that this really is what the Bible is all about. God wants a personal relationship with you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. I don't have that in your notes today. This is where the Ten Commandments are. And when you read the Ten Commandments from a relationship perspective, you realize it's God just saying, hey, these are some things I don't like. Please don't do them. One of them, listen to the, listen to the relationship connection here. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. He's talking about idols. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Well, he's, he's not big enough to not be jealous. Do you want to believe that? That's your freedom. Let that sink in. The creator of the universe and beyond looks at human beings and says, man, when they worship something or someone besides me, I get jealous about that. What's he talking about? Relationship. Exodus 34, he's going to communicate who he is. This is what he's done all throughout the Bible. 
This is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. Slow to anger. This is who I really am. You've heard about some God that's fake God. I am slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. And forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's Old Testament. That's before Jesus even wiped away all of our sin. You see, salvation is no longer about you just getting forgiveness for your sin. That was paid for on the cross. It's about you embracing a relationship with Him. You coming into a relationship with God. And when you read throughout the Old Testament, the prophets from this perspective, if you've read through the prophets and you don't understand that this is what's going on, the relationship principle, loving God and loving people is, you know, God loving us. If you don't understand it, the the prophets are not going to make any sense to you. God wanted to communicate to, to the people how much he loved them passionately. And, and there's a, Ezekiel is one of the most entertaining prophets. If you haven't read it, go home. It's a quick read. It's a great read today. It's absolutely hilarious. When you, but, but it doesn't make sense unless you understand it from this perspective. And so God calls Ezekiel to go communicate to his people how much he loves them. And he does all kinds of things through Ezekiel, this prophet, to communicate, to show the people that he loves them. And at one point, he tied Ezekiel up in his house and made his tongue stick to the roof of his mouth. And so when Ezekiel talked, it was like this. Can you imagine that? And why? Because God didn't want Ezekiel to say some things yet. He knows in love, timing is everything, right? And God was like, I don't want you to say anything yet. I'm just going to put you, don't say anything. And he stuck his tongue to the roof of his mouth. And he also, he had Ezekiel go out and play army in the front yard. He had him paint a picture of, of Jerusalem. And he made a model in the front yard of Jerusalem and under a military siege. And when people came by, they were like, what in the world? This guy is crazy. That's the prophet. Something's going on. God's trying to communicate something. Battering rams. He used an iron skillet, you know, to show that there was an iron wall. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. You read this stuff, and this guy did all of this stuff. And, and he had Ezekiel lay on his left side for 390 days. And I'm going to read to you the instructions God gave you towards that. But he had him lay on his left side for 390 days. That's a long time to lay on your left side for 300. That's more than a year. Laid on his left side for 390 days, symbolizing him carrying the people's sin for 390 days. He did this. And then when he got finished, God said, okay, flip over and you're going to lay on your right side now for 40 days. Symbolizing him carrying the sin of Judah. So let me read to you just a little bit of this. Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 8 through 15. God says, I will tie you up with ropes, tie you so you can't move or turn over until you've finished the days of the siege. Next, I want you to take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, dried millet and spelt, and mix them in a bowl to make flat bread. This is your food ration for the 390 days you lie on your side. Measure out about a half pound, the funny part's coming, just hang tight. Measure out about a half pound for each day and eat it on schedule. Also, measure out your daily ration of about a pint of water and drink it on schedule. Eat the bread as you would a muffin. 
Bake the muffins out in the open where everyone can see you using dried human dung for fuel. Um, and he says, this is what the people of Israel, he's saying, this is why and this is, uh, these people are going to understand what, when they see this, all right? They're going to eat foods that are strictly taboo because they're going into exile and all of that. Verse 14, I said, God, my master, never. <laughs> I've never contaminated myself with food like that. Since my youth, I've never eaten anything forbidden by law, nothing found dead or violated by wild animals. I've never taken a single bite of forbidden food. What is he saying? God, I'm religiously into you. I have been passionate about you, and I've never broken this law. All right, God says, I'll let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human dung. Apparently that was better. <laughs> None of that makes sense unless you read the Old Testament and the scriptures from the perspective of relationship. God's love, God's passion. James David, would you come? You see, these prophets over and over, they communicated that God loved the people. And he was jealous of them and how horribly harmful they were damaging their relationship with God. God told Hosea, have you ever read the book of Hosea? God told Hosea, the prophet, to marry a prostitute. Now, imagine the scene. And, and here's why. He wanted to show the people of Israel what it looks like for him to be married to unfaithful Israel. It's like the man of God being married to a prostitute and having kids. And he did. He had kids with her. And there's no indication that she quit her job. I don't So the man of God, the prophet of God, has spoken through to Israel from God, words of God, and he marries this woman that every lady in town is threatened by and every guy in town doesn't admit he knows. And Hosea married her. And this, listen, this isn't about religion. It's about you personally having relationship with him so that when you stand before him you won't have to say hi God it's nice to meet you you will see him and say oh my God I've seen you for years I know you and he looks at you and says I know you too. Where do I get that from? Well, there's scriptures where Jesus talked about you standing before God and him going, I don't even know who you are. But imagine what it's going to be like for you who know him. You who have a relationship with him. 
Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. God finally had to let his people go. Did you know God got a divorce? For those of you who have been divorced, he knows the pain. He says, I gave faithless Israel her divorce, her certificate of divorce, and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Hear the pain and the passion in that? God, your creator, loves you. Is it too much for him to say, would you love me back? The readings throughout the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, revealed the same, even more though. The words of Jesus come to life when he says, all the commands of God are summed up, these two things, love God, love people. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus went through a long list of things that anytime you do this, even for the least of these people, he says, you've done it unto me with love. You love me. When you do it for me, you love me. First John chapter 4. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. What's he talking about? We live out our relationship with God, with each other. And that's why the church is here. God loves you individually, but he loves groups of people as well. That's all throughout the Bible. So I ask you again, do you have this relationship with God? I don't ask you for me. I don't need you to have it. You need to have it. You need to have eternal life. You can have that relationship. Well, John, I've heard things about God. Well, if you want to believe that, knock yourself out. If you don't want to believe it and you want to have a good relationship with Him, you certainly can. And all the things that you think are bad about God, if you just open your heart to understand who He is and accept Him and love Him, all of it's going to make sense. You know, there's a lot of children that hate their parents as they're growing up. But something happens when they get older and they realize, oh man, my parents, they've always loved me. They always took care of me. They fed me. They clothed me. You know, when we give up our childish ways and our rebellious ways, it's amazing how God makes sense. He's always loved you. He's always cared for you. I've talked to drug dealers. And they say, man, <laughs> even when I was on the streets doing the worst, I know God was there with me. And they can look back and see it. And they know it. And I'm telling you, whether he, you believe in him or not, whether you love him or not, he believes in you and he loves you. But when it all is said and done and you stand before him, the question is, 
Do you know him? And does he know you? Would you bow your heads? God will be your best friend if you let him. He's always there. But do you have a relationship with him? Have you accepted him for who he is? Who he says he is? Not what someone else has said about him. Or maybe you've made up your own God. You think you have a special relationship with him that's contrary to what he said in the Bible. That's not going to work for you. You can hold on to that for as long as you want to, but I promise you it's not going to work for you. Or today you can just say, you know what? I want to get to know the God of the Bible. The God who came and died for me, who loves me. Just do it right where you are. God, thank you so much for your forgiveness of all of my sin. Thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. I choose to believe good things about you today. I choose to believe you love me. I choose to believe that you have good in store. I would love to spend eternity with you. And I want to get to know you, so I invite you into my life. I make you my God. Wash me and cleanse me. And God, there's some things in my life that need to be healed. Things in my mind that need to be changed. I invite you to come in and start working. Help me. I want to accommodate for you living inside of me. And have this relationship with you. I choose to love you. In Jesus' name.